Hello and welcome to Bellhaven Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Weber. On today's episode, you'll be listening to PSY 342, Psychology of the Exceptional Child. I hope you listen and enjoy. All right, we're in class three, and this is session four. We're still talking about our preschoolers who have various characteristics of learning disabilities at that three to five age. Um, We do see early intervention programs. They're not really designed much for the... um, the kids, um, you know, up to two. So these programs um, would just be, we're intervening early on. It's not your standard EI. Um, And we don't have a lot of programming designed for preschool programs, um, generally because there's just no diagnosis yet, and they're not really doing true academic tasks. Um, They are learning, hopefully they're letters. We start with colors. Uh, We go to shapes, which is considered a pre-math skill. We go to letters which is a pre-reading skill and hopefully we're teaching them phonics um there are a lot of professionals though who do think we need to do early um identification of these children um early and that we don't now but there are people who push for that and they are going to use these pre-academic skills like the letters and colors and so forth as as predictors of where they're going to go when we do the actual assessment for children who are, you know, just probably seven and up, um, IDEA requires a multidisciplinary team to do a evaluation of these children like we do most of the time with, with our kids. Um, any of the battery of tests given must be given by trained assessment personnel. Um, usually these are like school psychologists. Um, sometimes there are psychometrists, um, some reading professionals, things like that. Um, any test you give has to be shown to be reliable. That that would be consistency if you took it from time to time. And valid means it measures what it's supposed to measure. So you obviously don't give a math test to assess a reading problem. We want to make sure that our tests are not discriminatory in any way. And we talked about that earlier with the being in the native language. You know, if a child can't hear, we don't give them a verbal test. If they have issues with their motor skills we don't make them put puzzles together and time them so it's just your basic things like that um again native language of the child any assessment tool does need to be done in that native language so that the child has the best chance to show how well they can do and we can't use one measurement we must have two or three different things now measurements can be observations they can be interviews they can be standardized tasks it can be looking at the curriculum that the child has been engaged in and their um, their samples from writing and reading and so forth and this is just to make sure that we don't have a kid who's a bad test taker um, who gets put in um, to special ed just based on one task because that's really unfair to those children Our strategies are going to involve several different types of testing. Normed reference assessment. This is a test that has um, been normed. Um, Norms are, it's kind of a standardized test. So we're looking at what's normal. Um, That's our norm. And so what should a third grader be able to do? And we're comparing this child that we're testing to children all over the country. Um, who have shown what is kind of typical for that age. Um, Those are used frequently. 
but we also have criterion referenced assessment and these are tests that you would give that are based on the criterion that, or criteria that the child has been um, learning. Um, any test that you've taken that a teacher made out for you would be criterion referenced. Um, it wasn't something standardized across the nation, but it should reflect what you have learned and give kind of a good understanding of how well you're doing with that material. We also do curriculum-based assessment, and this is gathering up um, work samples that the child has done, and it gives us a, a little bit broader picture than what we can do in a quick test. Um, and we look at their writing samples from the beginning of the year to wherever they are now. Same thing with maybe math and, and other areas, and we're trying to see, um, looking at that, kind of where they tend to fall down and where they tend to have strengths. This is going to show you kind of a, a example of a curriculum-based measurement. This is reading, and you can see that we've got two blue lines at the bottom. And um, well, actually, let's do the top first. Let's go look up at the red data. The red dots there um, are showing the class data over a period of 12 dates and how many words per minute we're getting correct. And you can see that as the 12 days have passed, or maybe this is 12 weeks, um, our children overall are starting out at about mm, 49 words a minute. And by 12 weeks, um, say, they've gotten up to 75. So there's been an improvement. And that orange line that's going in there is just the trend. Um, to kind of show you a straight line of what we think is happening. You can see it's sloping up. All right, so our child who's having issues is named Jamal, and he's down at the bottom in the, the blue line, and the dark blue line with the dots is representing what he's doing. So you can see compared to the class, he is definitely showing a deficit. Um, he starts out on maybe week one at what looks like to be about seven um, words that he's been able to do per minute and that's compared to about 49 for the rest of the class and you can see his trend line there is that kind of turquoise line by 12 weeks he's come up but he hasn't come up tremendously he's on about maybe 11 or 12 words and again the class has moved along to about 75 76 words and so while he is showing slight improvement he's not showing great improvement and that turquoise line is barely um, not straight it's just a tiny bit sloped up so clearly just in looking at his curriculum he's going to need a little bit of additional help uh, in order to catch up with where he would need to be where the class is so when we work with these children um, one big thing to think about we focus so much on the weaknesses of these kids that we really forget sometimes we need to capitalize on their strengths and we need to compliment them on their strengths. These kids hear so much negative about how badly they're doing and how we need to do better and what you need to focus on. We need to really build them up um, and we need to find something they can have a strength in, even if it's after school and we, you know, it's soccer or piano or something like that. We want to make sure that we're very, very clear. Now, we should do this with all kids all the time. We don't. Um, but kids need structure. They need to know that at this time we do this and we do it for this long. And we need to make sure that we're giving clear expectations about what we want. Uh, my child tells me all the time when he was little, he would say, 
Do not tell me what to do in woman speak. Just tell me what to do, and I will do it. So we do a lot of it. We make me very happy if you do. You know, just say I expect you to do this, and make sure the kid knows. And that helps them a lot. They don't process well, so you don't want a lot of extra words in there. Um, you don't want to use very complex sentences. You want to be very direct. Do this. Um, you don't want to use words that are very large because a lot, and we're not being condescending. They just don't understand these words. So tell them very simply what you would have them do. And you may want to write it down too because some of these kids can read better than they can process language. Um, find some place for these kids to be successful. All right, they need that just like any person needs that. Here's our normal way of working with a child with a learning disability. All right, we, we stress it in school. We give them tutoring. After school, we make them do homework for hours. And on the weekend, we provide tutoring. All right, there is never anything where they are getting to do what they want to do. All right, these kids will tell you they feel like they're in prison. Nine months a year, five days a week eight hours a day plus another few hours of homework and stuff and they're trapped all right and they're bombing all the time and all they do is feel like a failure all right you got to find something where they can have an opportunity for success you know there's karate there's you know dance lessons there's all kinds of things um might be they're good at checkers all right find something that the kid likes to do what he's doing or she's doing and that they can do well because otherwise you're going to end up with a child who is just going to give up and we don't want that um we want some flexibility some of these kids do better if they stand up uh it ain't going to kill you to let them do it and let them stand in the back of the room um there are some who actually find they focus better if they sit on one of those um stabilizing balls you know as they move back and forth um it kind of keeps them awake and a little bit more able to focus their attention so as long as you can handle something like that that'd be cool um we want to use some things that self-correct so they can get kind of immediate feedback um, this is not pass your paper to your neighbor and have your neighbor grade it like i grew up with this is going to be more of a concept of um maybe a computer program that lets you know immediately that you made a mistake uh, we want to give a lot of positive reinforcement when we can whenever they're doing something they should be doing we want to make sure that we we really stress that because remember they're hearing a lot of negative and when we look at cognitive training these are just approaches that we would have to really try to work with those metacognitive problems and their motivational problems to get them inspired to have some skill strategies that work for them which will help them get motivated some of this is teaching them how to instruct themselves on how to do the work and how to pay attention a lot of this is just self-monitoring this is easy this is just stop and go are you on page whatever or are you doing what you're supposed to be doing and they can go oh i'm not and i need to focus um, scaffolding instruction is, is just, you know, you put the scaffold up to paint your house and crawl up to the top. This is start low, build on the skills that you have, add on another layer and add on another layer. And it usually requires some one-on-one, -on -one. um, considerations are going to be enhance the content of the material to something they might like. Who cares if they learn to read a comic book over a classroom book, if that's what they prefer to read. So find something they like. 
Um, graphic organizers are really good for these kids to help them get organized. And organization is a really horrible skill set for them. So we want to work on that. Maybe some of those little trapper notebooks that have everything right there together. All right, mnemonics are things that we use to help us learn material in a way that makes it kind of fun. Um, Y'all may have used these back when you were trying to remember the colors of the spectrum and you learned Roy G. Biv to let you remember it was red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. Anything like that that can help a kid kind of get the material, those are, are really fun for these kids. Um, we do a lot of just pure direct instruction where one person sits down and really works hard with a kid to help them get the material and that's called DI. Some folks like peer tutoring. We pair this child with a child who is a little bit ahead in this material as long as that tutor um, is comfortable doing this and is not going to um, cause any problems. Sorry, they have to be a, a kind, caring peer. Sometimes we do class-wide peer tutoring when we pair everybody up with someone else in the class and they aren't necessarily all needing help, but we would let them all work together um, on different things. And we do peer-assisted learning and that's called PALS where the peer is actually teaching strategies um, to the other child. Um, the least restrictive environment concept here um, is that most of our kids with a learning disability go straight into the general ed classroom. Um, they generally fit very well there. Um, remember, they're very typical in most ways. Um, we do, however, want to keep our other options open just in case they need a resource room teacher or they need maybe a self-contained class for something like their reading. Um, when it comes to transitioning, we have things that make this easier for our children to move out of the classroom setting into the adult world. Um, one is teaching perseverance so that they will be able to continue at a task when they get into the work environment or possibly college. A lot of these kids will go to college. Um, we have to help them learn how to set a goal and then work towards that goal. To understand what their strengths and their weaknesses are so that they will always know where they need to have additional help lean on their strengths um, help them develop a social support network and everybody needs that in order to be successful in life and so we want to uh, help them to be able to provide that um, show them um, what kind of interventions are available for them if they continue on in their education um, again, as I mentioned, many of these individuals have gone to college and there are many who've gone to graduate school. Um, if they don't think that's for them and they want to get out and start working right away, which will be the choice of some of these kids, and um, we want to provide them with some job training and that needs to be at a level that would you know, enable them to get a job. And a lot of the high schools actually do a good job of this. Um, the work environment they go into may need to be supportive for them, and we may, if we're doing a vocational job training, we may do a half-day kind of deal where they work half the day, um, go to school half the day, and, you know, work in an environment where they understand that these issues exist. Teach them how to take control of their own life because they are going to have to be in charge of that at some point, and most of them can do this very successfully. 
Um, in addition, as we're looking at secondary programming, that would be, you know, the concept of them going to college. Um, we also, again, that preparation for work and any basic skill set that they need for um, work environment. A lot of them are going to need to understand, you know, how to handle a checkbook, um, have a bank account, um, showing up on time, you know, that type of thing. Um Functional skills are just your work-related skills. Now, generally, we aren't going to have to teach skills like grooming and that sort of thing like we did with the intellectual disabilities because these kids are, are fairly typical and those things they should know. All right, but knowing just basically what do you do at work, they may not know that. Um, some schools do a work-study program. Um, that would be something that you could do sort of at the later high school years and then even into college we have work study programs where um, they would work part of the time and study part of the time and then of course college prep for those that are definitely planning on going on to college and again large number of these kids will be doing that um, we want to give them continued support um, as they are beginning the transition until they decide that they don't need that. And many of your colleges will provide um, some support for LD as well and make some accommodations for the kids. Um, we want to be available for a consultant if that's all they need. This may also be for their families um, to kind of, you know, just think through the different options that are available to our kids. And, of course, any learning strategy, hopefully they've already picked these up by the time we're beginning to transition. But if we can see that they haven't, um, we would begin to add that on. All right, if we're doing the post-secondary programming, again, moving on to the college things, we want to make sure that they look at what accommodations are available for them in college. Now, the things that we normally do are giving more time on a test, uh, we can give an oral test in college if they don't um, understand, you know, they can't read a test well. Um, those are generally the two big ones that we would do for them. Um, what is available at their school of choice in support services? Um, we have a think center here at Bellhaven that actually works with um, all of the students who may want some some extra support, teaching them some study skills and helping them learn their learning style and those kinds of things are really nice to have. Um, there should be individual um, attention given to a child with LD who, as you know, I guess they're not kids anymore, um, when they get to college. Um, but certainly there's a program kind of designed for them that should be um, all-encompassing for them, very comprehensive. Um, but they are going to need to learn how to be their own advocate. Um, there will not be folks necessarily doing this for them. They're going to have to speak up for themselves. 